You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. church family. Good morning. So good to see you. We're glad you're here with us this morning in person and online. Um, There's nothing like changing up some chairs to really mess up us church people, right? We're like, where do I sit? Who do I sit by? Yeah, we like shaking things up. You never know what's going to happen here at CCA, changing chairs. Um, But really, we just thank you for being here with us. Um, We are still in the book of Hebrews, and I would encourage you, if you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles, digital, uh, physical, to the book of Hebrews. Um, We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, But how many of you parents have had the joy of teaching your kids how to ride a bicycle? Yeah, okay. Uh, Or maybe you're not a parent, um, but you're an aunt or uncle, grandma, grandpa, older sibling who who taught your your younger family member how to ride a bike. Uh, It's pretty exciting um, to see your kids uh, just finally get the hang of it and to see the bike almost become like an extension of their bodies, just zipping down the street, making turns like a boss, and maybe even making some sweet jumps off curbs or something like that, right? Um, But, uh, and if you've taught someone how to ride a bike, you know that it takes a little time to get to that point, right? Um, But if you've never had the joy of teaching someone how to ride, um, well, this is what starting out can sometimes look like. We have a little video for you. and said, I want to try riding without training wheels. And we're never going back. Oh! Yay, JD! Trinity, move your butt out of the way. Look at you go, baby girl! Don't run over! Colton. Oh! <laughs> Let's go! Oh, oh, don't crash, don't crash! <laughs> Now try it. You remember how to put your brakes on? Okay, slow down, slow down, slow down. Not, don't pedal anymore. Put your bra- put your ba- feet backwards. Feet backwards. Come on. Don't get the pole, Andy. Stay away. Oh. Ready? Stay straight. Stay straight. Good job. Stop. Stop. Use the brake. <laughs> Jesus, forgive us for laughing at all those kids. 
No, but I think we can laugh because we've been there before, right? I think it's kind of a rite of passage. If you want to learn to ride a bike, you have to go through the struggle. You have to run into a few poles and cars and garage doors. Uh, because once you do, you learn to ride much quicker, don't you? And you appreciate more all of the things the person trying to teach you was saying. Uh, because in most of those videos, not all of the clips, uh, a parent or adult was in the background shouting instructions, right? Keep pedaling, put on the brakes, turn, turn, turn. Um, and I bet you that after those kids crashed, they listened and a little more closely uh, to what the person was saying. Um, and even us, as we were watching, we're, we were probably cringing a little bit, especially that little girl headed right for the garage door. We were like, oh, she's going to run right into it. Um, and that's just, that's just part of riding a bike. Um, what I also love about some of those clips is the enthusiasm of some of the kids. Maybe you didn't hear what they were saying, but, but one kid was like, yeah, I'm doing pretty well, and then right into the car. Um, and then one kid was like, let go, Dad. He was ready, and then he crashed into his brother. Uh, and then that last video, I don't know if you heard it, but the kid was like, put this on YouTube, Mom. And then when he crashed, he's like, don't put it on YouTube. That's what he was saying, yeah. That's what he was saying. Um, but it seems that uh, they had really good beginnings, right? They were really excited about riding their bike for the first time. They were going for it, but in their excitement uh, in, about riding their, their bike for the first time, it seems they failed to hear all of the instructions their parents were saying, right? Pedal, brake, turn, which then led to a crash. Um, and there are a lot of parallels, I think, to learning how to ride a bike and learning how to follow Jesus. Uh, I, I think for many people, uh, beginning, their beginning of following Jesus for the first time is pretty exciting, just like going down the street on your bike for the first time without training wheels. It's new. We experience great things. We feel so much freedom and we're alive and, and we feel relief knowing that we're saved and forgiven. Um, and, and while beginnings are good, beginnings are important, finishing is even more important, right? Beginnings on a bike, fun. It's awesome. But finishing and finishing well by not crashing into a car is way more important, right? And if we don't heed the instructions of our coach, whether it's scripture or a wise friend in the Lord, right, especially when they see we're headed towards trouble, if we don't listen, then there's real potential for a crash, isn't there? And we see that played out exactly um, in the book of Hebrews, in the passage that we're going to look at today. Um, this is part two of a message we started last week where we started talking about the importance of finishing our faith well, um, but we didn't finish, right? How ironic. Um, but today we will finish that chapter, okay? Um, and, and we'll understand even more that while beginnings are important, finishing well is even more important when it comes to following Jesus, all right, so this is finish part two. Let's pray. Let's continue to ask God to be with us. Grateful that you've brought us here this morning. Whether in person or watching online, we're thankful um, that you have uh, truth for us to receive today. And so, God, we, um, as, as we've been singing and, and worshiping, we, we submit ourselves to you. We say, Lord, have your way in us. Um, we don't want to follow 
our own ways. We've tried it, and, and we keep messing up. It doesn't always go as planned. And so, Lord, we're, we're submitting to you. We're saying, Lord, would you have your way in us? We submit to your ways, your truths. Help us to see it and receive it today so we can walk in your ways as we leave this place. So we thank you, God. We love you. We say all of these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I forgot to say that the reason why the chairs are all different is because we had a wedding yesterday. Congratulations to Douglas and Selah Sosi. Um, they're on their honeymoon now, you know, enjoying their marriage, their, their beginning of their marriage. Um, all right. Uh, so we're, we're going to jump in where we left off last week. We're going to con continue. Um, and let me just give you a quick review. Last week, we talked about the importance of not becoming stagnant in our faith. And we were encouraged through the word to move on to maturity, to move on to maturity. The author of Hebrews was, was very blunt, uh, even a little graphic with his imagery, saying that Christians who have been following Jesus for a long time but haven't moved on to obedience and maturity uh, was a lot like a, a grown person who still breastfeeds. That's what he was saying. Um, and, and so uh, something is wrong with that. That's a disturbing image, and that's the point. And unless we move on from the fundamentals, the ABCs of our faith, um, then we won't be able to understand and value the, the deeper truths of Jesus. Because next week, we're going to start talking about how Jesus is the better high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And, and that word alone is hard to say, and the author even says it's a hard thing to, to explain and to understand. And so if we want to understand these deeper truths, if we want to fall more in love with Jesus, then we have to move on to maturity. And so this week, um, we're going to look at one of the most controversial passages in all of the Bible. Um, people have been debating this passage for hundreds of years, and the debate is still running strong today. Um, it's the debate of whether or not we can lose our salvation. I, is it possible to, to walk away from your faith and never be able to get back to it again? Or is it impossible to lose our salvation and those who do walk away, they were never saved to begin with? That's intense, isn't it? That, that, that sounds complicated just right there. Um, but let me tell you, like I, I said last week, the purpose of this passage isn't to get you questioning your salvation. It isn't to, to get you questioning your faith. The goal is to help you finish your walk of faith and finish well. Um, in my opinion, it is far less beneficial to focus on the fear of falling away and way more beneficial to focus on finishing our faith well. Fear holds you back. Bad kind of fear holds you back. But there's a good fear called wisdom that moves you forward. We'll talk about that a little bit later. All right? And so that's more of what the author is trying to help us focus on um, in, in this passage. And I think as we read through, through it, you'll, you'll see that. All right, so Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 are where we find this controversial topic. All right? And so that's where we're going to start reading. Um, we'll try and wrap our minds around what God is trying to say through these verses. All right, but it says this. Uh, let me know if you're ready to jump in. You ready? Okay. Verse 4, he says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, 
and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. All right. So we're going to break this down. We're going to start out first with who is this passage talking about? Um, well, what we just read is really the profile uh, of someone who sounds like they are followers of Jesus. All right, how do we know that? Well, the author, he lists four things in these verses that every believer experiences when they receive salvation for the first time. Right, the, the, the first experience is enlightenment. Everybody say enlightenment. Right, those who have been enlightened is what verse 4 says. Uh, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we experience enlightenment. What does that mean? Well, well that enlightenment is, is just, it's, a, it's an amazing experience. Right? Because you realize that your sins have been forgiven. Right? That, that you are no longer a slave to sin. That you've been restored to right relationship and are no longer an enemy of God. That though you might die, you can have eternal life after death. And then one day you'll be resurrected from the dead to live a perfect life in a perfect world with our perfect Jesus. Whoa, right? That enlightenment is amazing. And that's not it. Um, there, there's more. Because when you're enlightened to the fact that, that salvation isn't just about the afterlife, but there's so much for us in this present life. And as followers of Jesus, in this life, we get to partner with him. And he's the true king of the universe. And in seeing his kingdom, we get to partner with him, seeing it restored once again on earth as it is in heaven. We have meaning and purpose and blessing in this life. Are you catching what I'm saying? All of these blessings that come simply from being enlightened. Right? Changes our perspective. The enlightenment that we receive when we become followers of Jesus is an amazing experience. Uh, the second thing we experience when we, we receive salvation, verse 4, it says, the heavenly gift of the Holy Spirit. The heavenly gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, as soon as you say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of you. Every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And the Holy Spirit was promised to us by Jesus after his resurrection from the dead. He promised to send his spirit who would help us follow him. Because following Jesus is the easiest thing in the world, right? No, it's not. And we need help. And so God gives us that help, right? Um, and having the gift of the Holy Spirit is amazing because he's our helper, our counselor. Um, for example, when we don't know how to pray, the word says that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf and prays to God for us. Not only does the Holy Spirit dwell in us, but he empowers us to live transformed lives. He empowers us to, to serve people for their good and the glory of God. And sometimes this empowerment, it can look like praying for somebody to be healed and then they're healed. That's pretty cool. Um, sometimes the empowerment looks like speaking prophecy, speaking in tongues, speaking words of encouragement and knowledge and wisdom to people. The, the heavenly gift of the Holy Spirit is something that every follower of Jesus experiences when they are saved. And the Holy Spirit is such an incredible and needed gift. The third experience is found in verse 5. And it says, the, the word of 
of God or the goodness of God's word. Before salvation, before having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the word of God is foolishness to us. We, we can't understand it the way it's meant to be understood. But when we are saved, when we're enlightened, when we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're able to better understand the power and the goodness of God's word and the life that it gives us. Right? We no longer, like we've been saying, simply read the word, but we allow the word to read us and change us and shape us. Right? And then the fourth thing um, we experience in salvation are the powers of the age to come. What does that mean? It sounds really cool, but what does it mean? Now, simply put, when you have a sure hope for the future, that changes the way you live and act. Right? When you know that God has promised a new and perfect kingdom, perfect world when Jesus returns, that changes how you live, or at least it should change the way you live. You have a different perspective of the world around you. You no longer live for self, but, but for um, your, your life. You live for the good of others, for the glory of God. You, you, you're living for something greater because you know there's more, there's better to come. You see what I'm saying? And so these are four things that every follower of Jesus experiences when they receive salvation from him. If you are a follower of Jesus, these are all blessings that you've received. And it's these experiences that empower us to mature and grow in our faith as we follow Jesus. And so again, in verses 4 and 5, we see this profile of someone who is a follower of Jesus. They have experience, or it says they've tasted these blessings from God in salvation. And let's just be clear about that, that word taste. In the Greek, that word doesn't just mean to simply like have a little nibble, right? This is a weird thing for me to do, but it's the best way I can, you know, show nibbling. It doesn't mean to just have a little nibble, right? But it means to totally devour. And just like we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 2, where the author says that Jesus tasted death for everyone. Did Jesus just have a little nibble of death? No, he experienced the fullness of death on the cross for us, all right? And so, as far as we can tell, the author is talking about followers of Jesus, but what happens to these followers of Jesus? Well, verse 6 says that they have fallen away. They've fallen away. Now, this is different from drifting away. We've talked about that in Hebrews. This is different from hardening your heart. We talked about that as well. No, fall away here means to totally reject Jesus and no longer follow him. The more traditional term is called apostasy. And this isn't something that just accidentally happens. This is a choice that someone makes, right? And so what is the author of Hebrews saying about these followers of Jesus who have fallen away, rejected him? Well, in piecing together the beginning of verse 4 and then verse 6, he's saying it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. And that word impossible, in the original Greek, it means, well, impossible. It can't happen. It won't happen. And I'm going to be really honest with you. I wish it didn't say this. I studied the, the Greek word for, for that word impossible, and I was looking for other meanings. Maybe it doesn't mean impossible. It means impossible. All right, now, 
I'm sure this is maybe stirring up all kinds of thoughts and emotions in you right now. Um, but I want you to take a, a breath, just take a pause, and try not let your, your mind just wander off without you, okay? Um, I want to help you make sense of this because I know we can make sense of it if we have the right perspective. And so how I want us to do that is I want you to be incredibly self-centered in this verse. We don't usually say that in church, right? Be self-centered. Be self-centered with this verse, okay, or this passage. And I want you to make yourself the subject of it. Okay, when we read this passage, our initial instinct might to be to think of other people. Because right? we're walking with Jesus. We haven't fallen away. So we think of other people who've fallen away from, don't do that right now. Put yourself in the shoes of whoever Hebrews, the author of Hebrews Right? I want you to make it about you, and I want you to imagine that you are the person that this passage is talking about, okay? All right, and then think about it. If you have truly and fully experienced the incredible things that the author lists in verses 4 and 5 as a result of your salvation, right? these incredible things that lead to meaning and purpose in your life, these incredible things that mean eternal life and, and blessing in the age to come. These incredible things that God has freely given you without you having to do a thing all because of Jesus. But you then choose to reject Jesus and fall away from him. Again, that's a really big thing. That doesn't just accidentally happen. That's a, a decision. It's a choice. And again, we're not talking about drifting away or hardening our hearts or being, uh, the, the old term is a backslidden Christian. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about total rejection and denial of Jesus. So if after all, right, if, if after experiencing all that comes from salvation in Christ and you consciously choose to reject Christ and all that he is, do you think that you would want to return to repentance after that? Put yourself in the shoes of someone who's fallen away. No. Chances are you don't believe anymore in the concept of repentance. You don't think you need forgiveness for your sins. You don't think there is such thing as an afterlife if you've fallen away in this way, right? Why would you then return to repentance again? And to paint the picture more clearly of what this falling away looks like and the severity of it, um, it says in verse 6, look at it. It says that those who reject Jesus are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What does that mean? Right? And so choosing to not follow Jesus is like saying to him, Jesus, get back up on the cross where you belong. You deserve the cross, right? Rejecting Jesus, falling away from him in that way is like saying, get back in the grave, Jesus. You're dead to me, right? You're holding him up to contempt. That's hatred. Or some translations say you're putting him to shame. A person who falls away from Jesus in that way, do you think they want to return to repentance? I don't think so. Right, so then we have to ask the question, is the impossibility on God's part to be able to return someone to repentance? Probably not. No, no, the impossibility is the likelihood that someone would want to return to repentance 
even after experiencing the fullness of salvation in their life. Do you understand what I'm saying? You following me? Right, and another question we have to ask, or at least I ask, is how could someone fall away from Jesus after experiencing the blessings of salvation? That's what I struggle with the most. And so let, let's apply this thinking to this debate about can we lose our salvation or are we once saved, always saved, right? Which one is right, right? So someone who goes through that kind of falling away and rejection of Jesus after experiencing salvation, in my opinion, it's not inconceivable that maybe they were never truly saved to begin with. That I can understand that, right? It's also not inconceivable that they've lost their salvation and they won't come back. I can understand that too, right? What is inconceivable is the, that after all that they've experienced in Christ, that they would fall away. That's hard to believe. That seems impossible to me. And so the author of Hebrews, he then gives us a sort of, of parable in verses seven and eight. Let's look at that to help us understand this even more. He says in verse seven, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. Verse 8, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So think of two fields that have been planted with, with seed, and both fields, it says, receive rain often. And so these fields, they have everything they need, rain, soil, we're going to assume sunshine and, and also good seed. They have everything they need for good growth. And with both fields under the same conditions, one field grows good fruit and the other grows thorns and thistles. How is that possible? Right, can you see the symbolism here? The two fields are two people. The rain they've received is the blessing of God, and the seeds are like those experiences of salvation that we just talked about. And so each person has everything they need freely given to them by God for good growth. But one person bears good fruit in their life, which comes from choosing to believe and obey God, and the other person bears thorns and thistles, which if you remember is symbolic of the fall in the Garden of Eden. Right? When Adam and Eve chose to um, not believe and to disobey and to sin in the Garden of Eden. Right? No doubt about it, this is a tragic scenario, as you can see. Right? How can this be? And more importantly, what, what is the farmer, the Lord of the harvest, supposed to do if the second field, after everything they've been given and experienced, if the second person is choosing not to grow as they should? That's the bigger question. This is complicated, isn't it? All right, which side of the debate is right? Well, again, I don't think that's the point of the message. I, I don't think um, the point of the passage is to get us questioning whether or not we are truly saved or, or if we've somehow lost our salvation. I mean, when you really think about either of those, those are both really bad, right? Those are both really bad cases where you followed Jesus but you weren't really saved, or where you followed Jesus then lost your salvation, they're both bad. And I think the author of Hebrews presents this scenario not to encourage fear, but to encourage movement. 
right? To encourage people to not um, grow stagnant in their faith, but to mature and grow. And we don't have to read much further to see that this is really the author's focus, right? Because let's keep reading in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, Though we speak in this way, talking about all that negative stuff we just went over, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, Hebrews, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Right, so when it comes to this idea of once saved, always saved, or is it possible to lose your salvation, the author is essentially saying that he's not talking about the Hebrews. He's not talking about them. That it doesn't apply to them, that this situation or that this shouldn't concern or, or bring fear, right? because he has better things in mind, things that belong to salvation. And then he gives evidence that they are experiencing salvation. He says in verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So these believers, they're showing evidence that they are saved because they have and, and they still are serving and loving people as Christ commands us to. Right? Not fallen away in the way that he's just described in the previous verses. There's evidence in their life. Okay, so based on this verse and previous verses that we went over last week, if you missed it, go listen to on the podcast. But the author's saying Listen, you've not fallen away. You've not lost your salvation. You, you, you're, you're not so far gone. You've not fallen away. You've just grown lazy. You've not fallen away. You've just grown lazy. You've grown dull of hearing. You started your walk of faith passionate and on fire for Jesus, believing and being obedient. You had really good beginnings, but you've become dull, dim sluggish, lazy, right? Which let me just say, when, when you've experienced salvation, when you've, when you've experienced God in amazing ways, but, but then you kind of grow a little lazy in your faith, laziness can sometimes feel like you've fallen away. But listen, listen, let me encourage you right now. If you even have the concern or the worry that you've lost your salvation, or that you were never truly saved to begin with, then the author isn't talking about you. Right? That's not falling away. People who have truly fallen away and rejected Jesus, they aren't concerned that they've fallen away. Right? They don't care. Right? So, so you've not fallen away, but you should take your concern as a warning for laziness in your faith that needs to be corrected. Now, why does laziness need to be corrected? That sounds like a silly question, but we're going to answer it anyway. Right? Because laziness can be a sign of a worsening condition in your faith. Laziness, it might speak to, to a greater problem that could potentially lead to falling away. But then again, it might not be. Either way, why risk it and why settle into laziness? It needs to be corrected. Right? Here's a side note about laziness and that I feel like kind of God revealed to me as it concerns rest. Um, but laziness is self-derived counterfeit of the true rest that God wants to give us. Let me say it again. Laziness is a self-derived counterfeit of the rest, the true rest that God wants to give us. 
Because laziness happens when we want rest in our lives, but we don't want to achieve rest in God's ways. That's when we become lazy. Right? Laziness is becoming lax in our belief and our obedience to God. But we have to remember from previous passages that the rest that God wants to give us, it can only be found in the balance and in the pursuit of belief and obedience to God. And so these Hebrews, these, these Jewish Christians, right, they started out strong. They had a strong beginning in their faith, but they were struggling to finish well. That you haven't fallen away, You've grown lazy and sluggish. Okay, but listen, listen to what the author says his hope is in verse 11 and 12. Okay, he says this, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. His desire for them is that they would have the full assurance of hope until the end. What does that mean? He's saying, I desire for you to finish well. Right? What I love about this verse is that the assurance of our hope of salvation is not found in beginning faith, but in finishing faith. You understand the difference? Every Christian begins their faith. But a lot of Christians who maybe don't finish their faith, there's a big difference. Our assurance that we are truly saved doesn't come from the fact that we started well. It comes from keeping our faith to the very end and finishing well. Okay, think about it this way. This is really just logic. If, if you haven't finished something, then how can we be sure of it? If I start building a chair and I'm super excited to, to, to build this chair. And I get going. I'm, I'm really uh, pumped and ready to build this chair. So I get going. And then halfway through finishing, I'm not there yet, but I'm like, I'm going to try out this chair to see how it works. That's foolish, right? Because if I've not finished putting in all the screws and the bolts or whatever, the chair might collapse. It's foolish to be sure if I haven't even finished it. And the same is true for us in our walk with Jesus. Beginnings are good and important, but finishing is where it counts. Right? We can be sure of our faith when we finished the race, when we've held on to belief and obedience to the very end. Now, big question. Does that mean we live in fear for the rest of our lives, not sure of our salvation? Worried that every time we fall or make a mistake that we've lost it. I mean, you could live that way, but that's not what God wants for you. That, that's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. No, he's saying instead of focusing on the fear of falling away, how about we focus on finishing well? Right? If you have the concern that you're losing your salvation, easy fix, follow Jesus. If you feel like you've backed away from your faith, easy fix, follow Jesus, right? It's so simple. And again, there's, there's a, a bad kind of fear that holds you back and immobilizes you. Some of you experienced that before. And then there's a good kind of fear that's actually called wisdom that helps you move forward. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't be fearful, be wise. I don't focus on fear, focus on finishing well. Keep moving, keep maturing, keep growing. And so... 
For those who haven't fallen away, that's who he's really talking about. For those who haven't fallen away but have maybe become lazy in their faith, what can we do to motivate ourselves to grow and mature and finish well? Well, verse 12 is saying that it's important to look up to and imitate those who did finish well. Right? And we'll read more about people like that in Hebrews 11. But he gives us a clue as to how those people finished well. Look at it. In verse 12, he says that through faith and patience, they inherited the promises. And when I think of faith, I think of belief, right? And when I think of patience, I think keep doing what you're doing until it pays off, right? I think obedience. And through belief and obedience, we can inherit the promise we can finish well. Everything is coming back to belief and obedience in the book of Hebrews so far. And we see examples of people like that all throughout, the, uh, all throughout the Bible. People who believed and obeyed to the very end, even when it was hard and painful and it didn't make sense to them. But they were blessed and they were rewarded for it. And maybe there are people in your life that this reminds you of. Faithful people, patient people, who always seem to experience God's blessings. Hey, the author of Hebrews is saying we should look up to them for motivation to finish well. We should surround ourselves with believing and obedient people who can encourage us. We should imitate them, follow their example so that we don't just begin well, but we finish well too. And then one more thing that we can do to motivate ourselves to finish well is look to the promises and the promiser. Look to the promises and the promiser. And we're not going to read um, verses 13 through 20 to finish out the chapter. I want you to go home and, and read that on your own. It's a really good chunk of scripture. Um, but it talks about how God gives us a promise. A promise that we don't even deserve, mind you. But he gives us a promise saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And he originally gave that promise to Abraham in the Old Testament, but it's for us too. Listen, God desires to bless and multiply you. He desires for us to have full and abundant life, not just now, but also in the age to come. This is the reward of our belief and obedience to the very end. This is God's promise of blessing, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. And if you remember in Philippians, Paul says it this way, Philippians 3.14, that we should press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right? Keeping our eyes on the prize, the promise of God, should motivate us to finish well, because it's an incredible promise. But also, keeping our eyes on the promiser himself should motivate us, just because of who he is, his character. Because what verses uh, 13 through 20 essentially say is that God, the, the promiser, isn't some imperfect, finite person. No, he's God. Right? And verse 18 says that God is unchanging and it's impossible for him to lie. Listen, imperfect, finite people change and lie. We know some people like that. We see them every morning in the mirror, right? We all change. We all lie sometimes. And this is why we're always a little hesitant when someone makes us a promise, right? We're like, eh, we'll see. Right? But God is unchanging. He cannot lie. And even more so, he swears by these two things that he will keep his promises to us. Who else can do that? Nobody. Only God can. 
And so we have the promise of God to motivate us. And we have God himself, the, the promiser, to motivate us. And the author in, or, almost wraps up chapter 6 saying in verse 19, a really good verse. He says, we have this, talking about the, the things of God. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Right, when we focus on the promise and the promiser, it acts as a steadfast anchor for our souls to keep us believing, to keep us obeying to the very end. Because listen, when you focus on sure things like God, your faith will be sure. Sometimes we anchor our faith in things that are unsure, which leads to unsure outcomes. But when we focus our faith on sure things like God, his promises, our faith will be sure. And so, what is God saying to you through this passage of Hebrews today? And now listen, I know that, that some of us, we're probably thinking of people who have fallen away from Jesus. And that's, a, that's a, another conversation. It's not quite the conversation that, that the author is trying to have here in this passage. And it's heartbreaking. Because they're, they're people we love. They're people we care about. And so if, if you know people like that, and that's a concern for you, let, come and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. But right now, we need to be self-centered with this passage again. And what I, I would say, I'm, I'm going to make a really big assumption based on your presence here today and say that you've probably not fallen away from Jesus, right? Even if you're struggling in your faith right now, there's still a part of you that believes, there, there's still a part of you that wants to hold on to your hope in Jesus. And so I don't think we've fallen away if you're here today, right? But maybe... Maybe you have grown lazy, and that's something every single one of us needs to examine in our own hearts. You had a strong, enthusiastic beginning in your faith, but somewhere along the way, you've lost your focus. You've become unmotivated to keep growing, but you realize that it's time. It's time to get moving. It's not worth it to be still. Or maybe you do believe you're, you're being obedient. You're walking the way, right? But you're also experiencing the weight of that. Because again, it's difficult to follow Jesus. And pastors who tell you it's easy are lying. It's hard. It's hard. Right? Especially because we live in the world that we live in today. And so maybe you're, you're following, you're being obedient, you're believing, but you need a little encouragement, some motivation to keep going, to finish well. Well, wherever you find yourself today, our encouragement and motivation from Hebrews is to look up to those who've gone before us and they finished well already. And think about it. If they can do it, so can we. And all of those who have gone before us, those mighty men and women of faith that we read about in the Bible, they were no more or less human than we are, just like us. Right, even more so, um, what we talked about in previous passages of Hebrew is that their understanding of God and his plan for the world was limited. They didn't have the whole picture. We have Jesus, right? We know what is to come, our hope. And so if they can finish on the limited amount of knowledge and wisdom they had, how much more can we? And so the author is saying, look up to and surround yourself with and imitate people of faith and patience, believing and obedient people. Okay, but also, 
Meditate on and remember the promise and the promiser. Remember what the promise is. I love that Alex brought that, that idea of just focusing on God and focusing on him as we worshiped. Remember what the promise is, the reward for finishing well. It's eternal blessing with Jesus. Keep your eye on the prize, but also remember who the promiser is. He's almighty, unchanging God, and he cannot lie. And God takes all of that might, all of that power, and he directs it not for his own gain, but for ours. He directs all of that might and power to show us his love for us, his grace, his mercy, his blessing that he has for us. It says we have this as our sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. And so what I want us to do is just take a moment to um, reflect on, on what we've said this morning. And so if we can just dim the lights, and um, I'd like for you to enter into just a, a posture of, of reflection and receiving from God this morning. Maybe you need to bow your head and, and close your eyes. Maybe you need to stand up or head to the back of the room. But just take a moment to meditate on this word. Again, chances are, if you're here this morning, you've probably not fallen away in the way that the author is describing. And we all need to examine whether or not we've become lazy in our faith. Maybe not totally lazy, but maybe there are parts of us that we've grown a little bit lazy. And so ask God to search your heart right now. Ask him to reveal those things to you. Whatever he's revealing in you right now, that's what you need to work on to move on to maturity. That, that God is saying needs to be corrected. You might be thinking, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. And that's true, you can't. In your own strength, in your own power, you can't. That's why he gives us the heavenly gift of the Holy Spirit to help us. So right where you are, just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and empower you to not be lazy anymore. And he will gladly help you. Because his desire for us is to move on to maturity. What I also want us to do is I want us to take a moment to, to pray for those people in our lives who we see maybe have fallen away. Pray for them. Cry out to God for them. 
ask God to change their hearts, to desire repentance again, to desire the things of salvation again. desire Jesus again. God, we have so many questions and so many things that we're still struggling to understand. And our hearts do break for those in our lives who who aren't following you or who did and then fell away. God, would you hear our cries? And Holy Spirit, we're just so thankful that when we're crying and then we don't know what to pray, you're, you're translating those sobs and those tears into prayers to God for us. And so we thank you for that. But we pray that you'd bring them back. We know that the impossibility is not with you, God. You can do anything. But we pray that you change hearts. You'd meet those people right where they are. That they experience again your goodness, your salvation. And God, for those of us who maybe we see areas of laziness in our lives, we ask Holy Spirit that you would fill us and empower us to get moving. Fill us and empower us to, to, to take care of those areas of our lives that, that we need to become more focused. That we would remember the promise, that we'd remember the promiser, that we would find somebody who, who is an example of, of faithfulness and obedience, and we'd ask to, to just come under their wing and to ask them to speak encouragement over us. But would you empower us, Holy Spirit, to do what we need to do so that you can do what you can do in our lives? Fill us, Holy Spirit, right now, in this place, in Jesus' name. Fill us, God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this place right now. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let's move into a time of, of taking communion. Um, every week we take communion here at CCA. Um, and I know because of the wedding, we had to arrange some things. And I know it's weird to maybe come up to the front, but don't be shy. Um, but you can be released right now. Come up and, and grab some prepared communion. We've got two plates. Um, but as you take communion this morning, would you again just remember the work of Jesus on the cross? Would you remember his broken body, his shed blood, so that we can grow in our faith, so that we can become the people he desires us to be? And just thank him that he's given us everything that we need to grow and mature and reach the end of our faith. So just take a moment and take communion.
to help you just continue growing and continue maturing in your faith. Um, here's some questions that you can go over just on your own, or we encourage you to, to go over them and, and talk through them with other, other followers of Jesus. Um, four questions. The first one, what blessings have you experienced since being saved? Number two, in what ways have you maybe become lazy in your faith? Every single one of us needs to examine this question right here. Even if we feel like we're, we're not lazy, there still might be something we can do. Not because we're seeking salvation, but because we already have it. And we want to continue experiencing the blessings of God. And number three, who in your life can you look up to and imitate as a person of faith and obedience? And number four, what motivates you to continue growing in your faith? Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.